Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace. My fellow commenter in today's episode is Cameron Brooks. Together, Cameron and I will talk about a subject close to my heart, Bible design. I've been writing for years about how the way we design printed Bibles influences the way we read or don't read the text. We'll talk about how I got into this unique interest and why I'm feeling so optimistic about the future of Bible design. Well, Pastor Mark, I know you've done a lot of work around Bible design at your Bible design blog, and you care deeply about how readable the actual physical thing of the Bible is. Can you say something about how you got started with that and why you think the design of our Bibles matters? Sure. You know, I grew up reading the Bible, and my first job out of high school was as a typographer. And eventually it dawned on me that the Bible looked very different than other books. I was always a voracious reader. I, you know, read novels, short stories, you know, anything I can get my hands on. But at the same time, I struggled a little bit to read the Bible, at least for any like length of time, you know, and I wondered why that was. No, part of it probably was I grew up with the King James Bible and, and, you know, so the, the language was a little more difficult. But to be honest, I look back with gratitude for that because understanding that language was really a gift. But the way that those old Bibles were designed was not a gift. <laughs> you know, each verse kind of started on its own line. You would have not only your verse number, but you would have all of these different little uh you know, markings on the text, cross-references and, and subscript, superscript. Um, in the Bible that, that I grew up with, words longer than, you know, two syllables would oftentimes be divided up in what they called self-pronouncing text. Oh. Uh, the most extreme example being there are some where the, the name Jesus is divided into two with accents and everything in case you're not clear on how to say it. Wow. And uh, so there was a lot of apparatus in the way of the text. Mm -hmm. And you tended to take those standalone verses as if they were like complete utterances. As a typographer, though, I started reading, you know, every book I could get my hand on about how to do good typography. And it seemed like all the principles of good typography were contrary to what I was seeing in the Bible. There's a reason for that, though, because uh, the Bible is the most complicated design project of, of any sort of popular level book that you can imagine, mainly because it's just so long. It is enormous. There's so many words in the Bible. It takes thousands of pages uh, of small prints super thin paper to make it all fit in, in a single book that you can hold in your hand. And because of that, there were a lot of uh, compromises in the design. But then, of course, a lot of stuff was added to make it easier to study. And so all of those references and notes and all that kind of stuff were there to, to help you. But the, the reference Bible, it kind of become like a jack of all trades. And 
you know the the saying about the jack of all trades the conclusion is master of none all right and so when it came to actually just sitting down and reading the bible just didn't look like the kind of book you would do that with like the bible looked like a more like a dictionary <laughs> the kind of book you would look stuff up in and that's the way we used it you know we used our bibles to look stuff up in and not to just sit and read the way you would you know a novel do you think that's partly because the church has at some times seen the Bible as a reference book? It's a good question. I, I don't, there's like a chicken and the egg situation here. Like d- did we do this to the Bible because that's the way we were using it? Or did we start using it that way after we'd done it? And I kind of lean in the second direction. I think that the way the book came to be designed influenced the way that it came to be read um, which is not to say that that people weren't proof texting from the beginning of time, but I think the design choices of like a classic, I think of like the Schofield reference Bible, something like that, those design choices reinforced a way of using the Bible that um, it, it's not horrible, but it's not ideal, and it's certainly not ideally conducive to deep reading. And so... I started thinking about, you know, how would you change that? And as a typographer, it seemed obvious to me that the way to change that would be to to make the Bible look like the kind of book you read, not the kind of book you look stuff up in. And people had attempted this in the past. You know, there there had been in the late 1800s a Cambridge Paragraph Bible. Uh, there were attempts in the the middle of the 20th century to do paragraphed it looks like a novel Bibles. Usually though, they hadn't really caught on. They had always been seen as novelties and they, they never worked as well in practice as they did in theory, because you still had the problem of all those words. You know, if you, you make the Bible look like a novel, well, most novels aren't as long as the Bible is. So you still have the problem of all of that tiny text. And if you set it in single paragraphs, um, you can't fit as many words on the page. And so the word, the, the book gets thicker. And anyway, so, so you've got a lot of difficulties related to that problem. And so when I started Bible design blog, one of the questions that I was really focused on was how could you, how could you realistically produce a reader-friendly Bible, you know, um, would it need to be in multiple volumes so that the the words wouldn't be too crowded on the page and the paper wouldn't have to be too thin? Or was there some kind of magic that, that you know, if you could just get the, the type just big enough and, and just keep the proportions at a certain level, could you fit it all in in a way that, that could work? Uh, was it a question of just finding the right paper uh, which is a really elusive task because paper now is not nearly as good in terms of opacity as paper used to be. So getting paper that that you could you know, print on and it would be really thin but also opaque, a lot tougher now than it used to be. So all these different challenges were, were things that that I was writing about and thinking about, and and you know by the grace of God. I began that task believing 
that I was writing about a lost world, that, that Bible publishing was in its twilight, that all of the innovation and the creativity was kind of in the past. And I was chronicling what you might think of as like the, the last days. And once I started writing about this stuff and an audience developed, uh, we saw a kind of renaissance in Bible publishing. And as a result, there are actually a number of really good reader-friendly Bibles that are available today that, you know, with, with more or less of a degree of, of perfection, give you a, a Bible that, that is like a book meant for, for reading and, and they actually work that way. So, you know, the ESV Reader's Bible, whole Bible in a single volume, little hardcover, looks like a novel, doesn't have any of the distractions that we were talking about. We give those to people at church when they join the church just because we, we believe that much in the importance of being readers of Scripture. We think this edition does a great job with that. There's also a multi-volume reader's Bible. Uh, there's one for the ESV. Other translations have, have come out with them since then. And so it's possible to find just extraordinarily beautiful settings of scripture so that you can read them. I'm not going to say like the, the way they were meant to be mm-hmm. because um, our modern 21st century idea of, of what a readable text looks like is different from what the originals looked like and how they were formatted. But it gives you, let's say like a sense of a flavor of that, that, unmediated experience of the text. And so, yeah, I mean, the design really does have an impact on how you read the Bible. And that's astonishing to me, but it really does make a difference. Now, one way that you you could feasibly solve the length problem and all of the letters and numbers problem is a nice clean electronic bible yes through which you can scroll forever do you have thoughts on on electronic bibles is that is the, that in some way uh, deficient from from a physical copy it's deficient in one sense so klaus krog who is a world famous designer of bibles uh, makes this point, I think makes it really well. Uh, the electronic Bible is in its infancy, technologically speaking. So we haven't been doing this for a long time. As a result, uh, they're good, but they're not as good as they will be. Like They will grow and become better and better the way that printed books have. Printed books, though, are really good. And I think there are some things print just does better than electronic books, at least at this point. So in theory, you could envision a world in which our experience of the Bible would be, you know, in an electronic format. And absolutely, that solves some of these form factor problems. Right now, though, typography, uh, line spacing, like, like all of the things that in print we have extraordinary control over, in a digital format, there's, there's just much less 
control over those things, much less ability to do them really well. Uh, I, I love this. Uh, so one of my favorite books on typography, like the rules of typography, is uh, Elements of Typographical Style by Robert Bringhurst. And if you do some Googling, you'll find that there is an effort to adapt it to use on the internet, you know, so sort of like web design applications of these typographic principles. But what you're able to do is much less than what you could do designing something for print. And so uh, the good news is that the compromises involved in electronic Bible are not so great that they're insurmountable, right? So if you have a Bible app on your phone, you've always got access to the Bible. It doesn't take up any space when you're not using it. And, and it's, it's, it's such a gift. And it's not only a gift, you know, to, to the people who, who don't want to have to deal with printed books. It's also a gift to people who love printed books because the rise of Bible apps has changed the way we think about what I have to have in a printed book. You know, when I started writing about Bible design, there were a lot of people who just couldn't imagine a Bible without verse numbers and cross references right. and, and, you know, maps and, you know, all of that stuff, because if they didn't have that stuff in their Bible, what would happen if they suddenly needed it? They needed to look something up and someone had given them a Bible that wasn't designed for looking things up in. Now, most of us, if we've got to f find information quickly in the Bible or access scholarly notes or whatever, you, know, you just pull your phone out and you open up the app and you've got all that stuff at your fingertips and it's faster and it's more extensive than what the printed book is really capable of giving you. And that frees the printed book to do what the printed book does best, which is be readable. And so I think Ironically, although people were worried that ebooks were going to mean the death of, of printed books, what's happened is the rise of electronic books has given us this, this different attitude towards printed books. Like if I'm going to have it in print, then I want it to be nice. Mm -hmm. I, I, there's no point in me having a sort of trashy, badly designed, glued spine, you know, junky edition of, of the Bible, if I'm going to have a physical one, I want it to be well-made, well-designed, and, and worth just kind of uh, reading at length. And so in that sense, I think electronic Bibles have been a real gift to Bible publishing. Well, that's, that's cool. I, I like that we can have both, you know. <laughs> um, we've talked about how, how uh, reading the Bible sometimes is reading poetry. Sometimes it's like reading poetry in the sense that it causes you to slow down and meditate. And I think that having a readable Bible helps with that, but it also helps with just reading more and longer, you know? And I know this is something we've talked about in the past that there's something to be said for just, just reading, especially when you're in a narrative passage, reading several chapters or you don't even know how many chapters you've read because you can't keep track you're just reading like you would read a, a book right I'm, I'm assuming that's part of what you're getting at right I, when reader-friendly bibles first started becoming widely available I remember there were a lot of people who would 
uh, comment on things that I had written. Can I push back? You know, like, I think you're exaggerating the benefits of this design. Uh, I can do all the same things in my classic reference edition. You know, I read for hours out of my old Schofield Bible or whatever, and I, I never even noticed those verse numbers, that sort of thing. And a lot of that was possible because people just didn't have much firsthand experience of a reader-friendly format. And once they became more common and people started reading them, it was amazing to me how many stories I would hear from people. They were astonished that this is really true. You know, I can't believe how much more I'm reading or how, you know, I sat down to read thinking, well, I'm just going to read a chapter and I found myself getting lost in it. And, you know, 10 chapters later or more, I'm still going and I'm understanding differently because it's sentences and paragraphs, not phrases set off, you know, with, with, uh, verse numbers. And so that was surprising. And, and, I have to admit, even I was surprised that a book like the ESV Reader's Bible, for example, so, you know, no chapter and verse in the text, it's all up in the, in the header. I did, I, I assumed that that wouldn't be that different from my, uh, one of my favorite text settings, which is the Cambridge Clarion, which is a paragraphed single column, but it has verse numbers and cross references and all that. And I thought, well, I mean, getting rid of that stuff isn't going to make that big a difference. And then I tried it, and I was astonished what a difference it made. Now, I still love the clarion, and I still use that. But if my goal is is immersive reading, then I grab a reader-friendly edition that's really designed for that. And I'm not saying that that just a change in format will overcome all the barriers. And if you have difficulty reading the Bible, then, then all you need to do is crack open a, a reader's Bible and, and all your troubles will disappear. But it puts fewer obstacles in your path and it feels more like the kind of reading that you're used to doing. And so your, your mind makes similar kind of connections, you know, and you start relating things in the way that you do in other texts rather than with this sort of numerical cross-reference thing going on. And it helps you, I think, better understand, you know, the sentence and the paragraph of scripture and how the pieces go together. This is the reason why in our worship services, in our liturgy, the text is always formatted in sentences and paragraphs or in verse without the verse numbers and that sort of thing, no additional apparatus or very little, uh, because we just want to see the text. And I, in a sermon, will make reference to this verse or that verse or whatever, but the text that you have before you is one that, that is just presented as text. That's all the time we have for now. If you want to take a deeper dive into this subject, you'll find all of my writing about design and printing of Bibles at BibleDesignBlog.com. In the show notes, we'll also link to a video interview that I did recently with Mark Ward on YouTube. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us next time. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed the commentary, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media.
You can subscribe to The Commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsufalls.org.